0: Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black. On video for the first time this season, I'm very excited to be on not only, A, doing a video podcast, but B, I have a very special guest, somebody who I've been interacting with on social media over the last few weeks, and he's doing quite the project himself. We'll definitely hit on it. For a little bit before we get into the meat and potatoes of this podcast, but he's an NBA writer and podcaster, chief content officer for the Rise Network, and he's the creator, most importantly, of the Quest for the Best podcast series, Mr. Matt Issa. Matt, how are you doing, my friend?
1: Nathan, I'm doing pretty awesome, man. I'm really uh, glad to be on. I'm excited to talk to you and do some, uh, I don't want to give too much away, but do some, some fun uh, guessing, but uh, yeah, I'm doing well. <laughs> how are you, man?
0: I'm doing well myself. Guessing is the most appropriate word I think that we can use for for what we're doing today. Like I said, the meat and potatoes of this podcast. We're going to be going through and giving our awards ballot predictions um, and and nailing down some of those important things before the 2021-22 season. My audience out there, if you've missed anything that I've released over the last few days regarding 2021-22 NBA season preview content, I did a massive two-parter with the guys over at the overstated nba show brett and jacob we did 30 questions for 30 nba teams and quite literally broke down each team before the season about five hours of content between two podcasts so definitely if you have a brave soul go check out both of those listen through them i promise the content is worth your time but before we get into a lot of that i wanted to ask matt um, to talk about his podcast series a little bit, it's called Quest for the Best, where he's essentially narrating his journey through finding out who exactly are the ten best players in NBA history. And he's done a lot of work that has gone into that podcast series. Matt, first of all, I want you to to explain a little bit for my audience in case they haven't listened to any of the episodes yet. I have up to this point. You're on episode. One through five, I believe. Episode six will probably come out next week, right? Sometime
1: next week. Um, actually, it we have a bye week next week, kind of to um build up anticipation, and we're actually releasing a trailer on Monday, like a little trailer, LeBron MJ trailer, kind of um kind of get every, the tension escalated even more, and then so the week after, the night before, um, the well not the night, morning before, because they release at twelve fifteen in the morning, so the morning before. The season opener. I will be releasing the final episode, October eighteenth, and we'll find out um, who I have at number one. But to kind of give my Jordan Belfer, like sell me this pen, explanation for what the quest for the best is. It's basically just it's a six part podcast series, kind of like you know like Squid Game. It's like a limited series type deal. And it's it seeks to answer the question, who are the ten best players in NBA history? And you know, we've seen a lot of listicles in the past, and my goal here is to kind of combine um the different philosophical schools of thought of how to like talk about basketball, whether that be from like, you know, the Ben Taylor backpicks top forty, more analytics, film oriented uh style, or you know, the Bill Simmons more um anecdotal, you know, journalism perspective, the Jack McCallums of the World, Bob Ryan's all that combined all the different styles of storytelling to tell what I believe to be the most thorough and up-to-date kind of depiction of the 10 greatest players in NBA history. And while it is like, you know, about the list, it's also kind of like a a neat little history lesson on those 10 players, their 10 careers. And I think it's a really good introduction for like today's fans to kind of familiarize, familiarize themselves with the game of basketball, how it came to be and how we got to the point we are today.
0: Yeah, you did quite a number of, might I say, impressive interviews uh, with with different folks. So it's not just you specifically talking about the game from only your perspective. You have so many different perspectives in the series. I've enjoyed every single second I've listened to it. I'm assuming you don't want to spoil anybody 10 through all the way down to number two on my podcast, unless you did. I mean, we could technically get into a little bit of it, but.
1: I mean, honestly, like at this point, like you know, I like, I don't mind if you have any quick, specific questions. I mean, I'm not gonna like you know reread you the whole. Uh, but if you had any particular questions, I wouldn't mind answering them.
0: Right well, now. you well, you have Shaq pretty high. I think Shaq on your ranking, he's number six for you, correct? I think that's the highest I've seen Shaq on on any particular quote unquote all time list. Usually, when you hear all of the the major sports pundits kind of going through that question of rank your rank, your top five, your top tens, in this case, specifically top 10, usually Shaq's coming in at like the tail end. Um, What, what inspired you? What, what really impresses you about Shaq's game, especially with some of the interviews that you were able to do um, asking about Shaq, what impressed you most to to have him as the sixth greatest player all time and kind of stand out a little bit in that way.
1: Yeah. I mean, to answer your question, like uh, Bob Ryan, had him in like the teens. I remember Bob was really like low on him when we talked, yeah. Um he said like he didn't trust him in big games, big moments, because of his conditioning. And no, that's that's up for debate. Um I do talk about his conditioning a lot during uh his breakdown. Um Bill Simmons has him in the like low teens. Um Jack McCallum has him in the teens. Uh Johnny Osaki who wrote this book about the fifty greatest players, I think he has him eleven or twelve, something like that. A lot of people have him, like, a guy that a lot of people compare him to is Kobe Bryant, obviously his teammate. And a lot of people say, you know, they do the thing, like, oh, Kobe has five, Shaq has four. You know, therefore, Kobe's a better basketball player, which is a way to look at it, I guess. But for me, um, I weighed, okay, so the thing with Shaq is, like, longevity-wise, like, he's pretty solid. I don't think he's, like, incredible longevity for, like, the superstars he does about a decade and a half of really high-level production, so, like, it's not, longevity is not an issue, so if you take that into account, then you look at his peak, I would say, pretty definitively, he has the best non-LeBron or MJ peak in NBA history, yeah, I think that's fair to say in terms of three-year peaks, and so, you, I mean, just doing the calculus on those two things, like, I think that's enough right there to make sure he's, like, firmly in your top 10, Um, and then the fact that he's, like, you know, an incredibly scalable guy, you put him next to not one, not two, but three all-dominant players, and he quarterbacked elite level offenses. Um, defensively I'd say he was pretty good. And then once you factor in the fact that like teams at the time like there wasn't enough good two way big men in the league, right? So against Shaq, you'd always have to put your best defenders and most times your best defenders were not good offensive players. So you're sacrificing your own offense. So in a way he's like indirectly a good defensive player from that standpoint. Um and I think people just like Okay, so Shaq's like he like like getting like psychological. He um I have this working theory right, and I don't actually reveal this in the series because I feel like people will just think it's stupid. But um okay, you ever seen the movie Seven? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so the movie Seven comes out in the mid '90s, and you know one of the seven deadly sins is gluttony, and like this fat dude gets <laughs> gets killed, right? He gets killed by um by uh K- Spacey's character, and. So this comes out right when Shaq starts to gain weight, like a lot of weight. And I feel Mm -hmm. like people were so terrified by that movie that they just started. I mean, people have always like disliked, you know, overweight people. But like this, this was just like right there. Like it really just psychologically made people like hate bad people. So like we look at Shaq and like this is just straight up gluttony. And so like people think because like Shaq didn't do everything in his power, like to become the best version of himself that means somehow that the guys who did were better than him. And like, just unfortunately in life, like there's just certain guys who are just genetically wired differently. And I think if Shaq like did everything possible to become the best version of himself, like he very well probably is the best player that ever lived. And so he didn't do that, but like the version of Shaq that he did become was like just so great. Like, I mean, you have a hard time in my opinion, naming six better basketball players than Shaquille O'Neal.
0: So, the, the how high you have him can definitely be an argument in and of itself. But the case that you laid out, as well as just thinking about my own opinions of Shaquille O'Neal, I don't really think it's an argument to not have him in the top 10 because he's so unique. He, when, when you talk about basketball players who were as physically dominant at, as Shaquille O'Neal at his size, like you mentioned, being a bigger guy in terms of bulk, but also just being quick. In, in areas of the game where you wouldn't necessarily expect someone his size to be quick. I mean, when you factor in everything he brings to the table physically and his level of dominance, especially on the offensive end, I mean, you can, you can point today to guys like Giannis and Zion, but it's just, it's just not the same and it's never going to be the same as it was with Shaquille O'Neal. So I think from a uniqueness perspective, the fact that I don't think we'll ever see somebody like Shaquille O'Neal ever again. Um, and, and sure, the guys that you've laid out eight, the 10 through two so far, um, obviously the two guys that you'll have on your last episode are unique in their own right as well. Uh, you can make an argument that all of those guys, we may never see an exact replica of those guys ever again, but I think it, it, the least likely that we would see some sort of clone come close to is Shaquille O'Neal just because of who he was physically made up
1: yeah and I think another thing that really um like set him apart from everybody else is like you know when I talk to former players, like you know when you're like uh one of the point one percent best athletes in the world, you tend to have like you know type a blood type whatever personality type you know where you're like in, you know the quote unquote like alpha like you you hate like admitting that there's people out there that are better than you all this and that mm-hmm. and like you know I talk to them about check and like all of them would so quickly like throw all that to the side and just say like yeah, that guy's He's scary. Like, he's different. He terrifies me. Like, you know, he's physically just different than everybody else. And, you know, you see some of the interview clips in the series. You know, you hear stories of guys trying to rip the ball from his hands, and they would, like, swat his arm, and there would be no movement. You know what I mean? Like, he was just so unbelievably powerful compared to athletes who are, like, unbelievable in their own right. You know what I mean? So he was such an anomaly amongst anomalies that, I mean, it's hard to argue him being any um, any higher than six you know higher number wise not higher up the list that that always confuses me like saying like higher in the list and like higher number wise because technically if you're higher on the list you're like lower in the list you know what i mean Mm -hmm. because if you're higher in the list you'd be like instead of 12 you'd be 16 so he's like further down in the list (laughs) but i don't know
0: but yeah that that being said that was the one that really stuck out to me the most a lot of the others are are pretty self-explanatory but yeah anybody who listens to me who hasn't gone and listened to the quest for the best podcast series. Let me just say that you you, you talked about a little bit ago how you wanted to model it sort of that narrative style of like Bill Simmons like Book of Basketball. I literally thought I was listening to like the Book of Basketball 3.0. And it, it it was absolutely phenomenal everything I've heard up to this point. Tremendous tremendous success on your end to make something that sounds like it does so unique. There really isn't other podcasts content quite like it out there other than what bill simmons has done with the book of basketball 2.0 but there's nothing else in the space other than that like it's so seriously tremendous accomplishment on your part and just listening to that i knew i had to have you on my show for something like what we're doing today because you do know the nba in and out and there's no better person in my opinion right now to talk about some of these top tier talents in the league today because that's exactly what the awards are right we're awarding the best talents that we have in the league today and i want to start us off we'll start very much so at the top with the nba mvp award so the ballot's going to be really interesting this year because you have two guys for sure that i think i I would be surprised if you and i didn't agree on at least two of the three guys on the ballot but kind of like that third spot is open to so many different cases and your whole podcast series, when you're talking about the best players in league history, they all have narratives tied to them. And this is very much so a narrative driven award. So I'm going to be curious where you go for your third bird, but why don't you give me your top spot on the ballot? Who do you think is actually going to win the MVP award this year for projecting out?
1: Yeah. So I want to like say this preface, all my predictions, like these are not, my like mvp my sixth man of the year this is like what i believe the voters will, will do happen, the yep. voters the voters usually do something different than what the correct answer is like <laughs> i'm so, we're going to talk about this a little bit later but like jordan clarkson was not the sixth man of the year last year i don't care how you tell me like how you try to perhaps start me free but that's not the point that's neither here nor there um my mvp this year i think he will repeat as the mvp i think nikola jokic because so looking at the guys, okay, I think Giannis still has voter fatigue. I think it's still there. So I mean he's he's off, right? Um LeBron, I don't I don't think that Vogel wants him to do what's need like what's needed to be done for him to be the MVP. And I think LeBron understands at this point in his career, especially after how things ended last season for them, that you know, he's gotta be a little more careful. So I think he's off. Um I don't think Steph's team will have enough success. Um uh, Luke, I don't think the Dallas Mavs will have enough success for Luka. Yep. I think there's a lot of people who are like irrationally high on Luka. Uh, not Luka, excuse me. You should be very high on Luka Doncic. <laughs> irrationally high on the um the Mavericks I think he's the thumb.
0: Vegas odds leader in a lot of places mm-hmm. for MVP yeah, would be Luka, I would. but I I agree with your point as well. I don't see it, but but
1: um so why Jokic then? I think that that team. So I think what Murray does for that team, he's like a ceiling raiser cuz like his ability to just get incredibly hot for a stretch of games can help them beat teams in the playoffs that they're not supposed to beat. You know, like the Clippers a couple of years ago, I don't think that they were the better team there. And I think if that shooting would have continued, you know, they might very well have found themselves being the NBA champions. But So I don't think your floor gets lower by losing him because, I mean, defensively, as a guard, he's okay at the point of attack, but I think they have enough to appropriate what he does. And I think that Jokic is such a floor racer where you can put him around 84 guys really, and he can make a, a pretty good offense. But the thing is, they're not just putting him around any four guys. They have good players, Aaron Gordon. I think uh, MPJ is a candidate to to really get better this year and to really show himself as, I don't think, an all-star yet, but like whatever is below that, I think he's going to get there this season. And so I think that the Denver Nuggets this season as a regular season team would be phenomenal. I think they might be. Uh, my buddy Bryce Hendricks, I don't know if you're familiar with his work. Oh,
0: um, oh Br- absolutely, Bryce. <laughs> Bryce and I talk all the time.
1: Yeah, he did uh he did a little piece um on his power rankings for the West and I tend to agree with his assessment that the the Nuggets could finish in second and I think that if they finish in the top 3 in the West without Jamal Murray, I think that that'll be enough where I mean Jokic has another season like last year, which was probably the greatest offensive season any big man's ever had. Um I think that'll be enough to make him the MVP.
0: So I actually don't have Jokic on the top three in my ballot. And you do do make a very strong case for why. And I specifically have in my notes, I kind of, at least for the MVP award, I kind of did my little note version of why I think they might win. And I have written down specifically chance to lead a team without its second best player in scoring and to lead that team to 50-plus wins in the Western Conference, which would probably put them around that top three. I'd be very surprised if there were more than three teams that win 50-plus in the West. So that would absolutely have him in the race. But it's it's so hard to repeat as an MVP winner. I think when you mentioned voter fatigue with with Giannis, Giannis didn't win it last year, which is why I actually do have him in the top three in my ballot um, because I think he has the chance to win um, a Defensive Player of the Year award along with an MVP candidacy while anchoring a team that could outperform a team like the Nets in the East and secure the top overall seat. That to me, like, that's a narrative when you look at it. That's much better of a selling point than somebody who, Jokic, who, yes, his team could be in the top three, but he'd have to be spectacular. His numbers would have to be even better than last year. And do, do you think he's going to have the same scoring impact for that team? I know a city has a chance to lead that team in scoring, but there, there's a strong chance also that Michael Porter Jr. takes a ginormous leap for the nuggets i'm sure we're going to be talking about him later i know at least i will um do you think that Jokic's numbers are definitely going to be if if not better than last year definitely on the same par that they were this year because yeah murray's gone but some of those offensive responsibilities might go to some other players too
1: yeah i think his numbers i mean there's like a there's no reason i see um those numbers like not improve not excuse me, not improving. It's gonna be hard to improve on those, but like <laughs> really going down too much because I mean last season there was a lot working against him, you know, the shortened mm-hmm. off season. He played every game. It was a weird season, there wasn't really that many practices. So I mean, he showed us that his conditioning is it's improved a lot. I mean, since he, he's entered the league, he's a much better athlete, much better shape than he ever was. So, I mean, now this off season he when was their last game? End of May or whatever. So yeah. he got about four months off. Um, I don't see any reason why he can't play another seventy plus games and put up very similar numbers. Again, I think Michael Porter Jr. and the other guys will really be working to fill the role that Murray did. I do want to push back though on one point you made about like you know the voter fatigue. I don't think that kicks in until the third, like the third, they're okay. going for the three peat. I mean, like because I feel like that's when, because if you get your third MVP, if you look at the guys who've won three in a row, you know I think it's like Bird Russell. Um, MJ, I think those are the only three guys to do it, but um, that's like, if Giannis would have gotten that a couple of years, like last year, he would have gotten his third MVP, which I don't I don't believe he deserved last year, I think that Jokic rightfully deserved it, but if he would have, like, you're, like, as a voter group, you're inserting Giannis in the conversation with those three guys, which I think, you know, the way his career is going, he has a good chance to, to be in the same room as those guys, but I don't think at that point the voters are ready to let that get there, and... So I think that long story short, I think if you know a guy like Nash, who I believe again also deserved those MVPs when he got them, mm-hmm. he he was able to get the the back to back. I think Yelich definitely do that without the the voters getting in his way.
0: So Kevin Durant's number one on my ballot, and you bring uh, up <laughs> yeah. why don't why why don't you like Kevin Durant is number one?
1: I mean, well, for like regular season's sake, um, I don't see him playing the necessary amount of games. So I don't know what your cutoff games wise. I think you have to probably, I mean, I know it's like arbitrary thing, but I would say you probably have to play 70 games in an 82 seat game season to be considered for that. And I just, I don't see Durant doing that. I don't think that's good for him to be doing that. You know,
0: my cutoff would probably be 65 around 65 okay. would be my cutoff. If you're putting up spectacular numbers, like Kevin Durant is capable of putting up. And now we, we don't know what's going to happen with Kyrie Irving. Like, it, it is a talking point. I try and stay away from a lot of those types of conversations when you're talking about somebody who is a massive cog in that offensive engine that is the Brooklyn Nets who can possibly not be with the team. I mean, we all think he's going to be there for the season. We all think that he's going to get vaccinated and play all 82 games, and or not, well, not play all 82 games properly. But you know what I mean. He's going to be there for the majority of the season. He won't miss any of the home games because of those limitations. We all expect that to happen, but if he doesn't, then it's Durant and Harden. And I don't see, even if you take out Kyrie, I don't necessarily see that team missing too many beats. And I think that his chance to be the leading scorer on that team, he's still going to have defensive responsibilities as well. You look at the other members of that front court. I mean, who's really going to step up defensively besides Durant? in that front court Um, other than I mean Bruce Brown's a wing but you talk about Nick Claxton really being the only other plus defender in that front court obviously Blake has limitations at this point point. Marcus Aldridge will likely have some limitations at this point Paul Millsap probably isn't going to be what we've expected from him defensively in years past so I think he could be their top defensive playmaker in the forward spot or the front court I should say and then be a leading scorer on one of the best teams if not the best team in the league. I just think that if Durant's putting up like twenty nine, thirty points per game, he's playing at least sixty five games. I think that he's going to have a fantastic chance to win the MVP award. Um who is your second guy on your ballot then after Jokic?
1: Yeah. Um I think I think it's either I was like kinda in between here, but I think so I was thinking either Luka or Steph, but I, I think at the end of the day I'm gonna go with Luka Doncic just because like I mean, from, like, if we're doing my personal ballot again, I would say in the NBA right now, if you take away um, LeBron and Giannis, who I've already explained why they can't yep. be in the, um, the MVP race, I think he's in the same tier of guys. It's like Jokic, Durant, and Doncic. I mean, he is Doncic. He's in the same tier of guys in terms of, like, my overall standing in the league. So I mean I believe like he is just as talented as anybody, but I think the problem will be that that team does not have enough shot creation, and I I don't I don't trust their their ability to have a guy who can protect the the interior and also be a beneficial offensive player at the same time. Like I feel like they have to sacrifice one of those things with just the way the roster set up. I think that that team won't be good enough for him to get the consideration he rightfully deserves. But if like something happened where you know they're a top four team in the West and they've it exceeded my expectations for them, then I, I would switch the pick and I would say I think Luke would probably be more deserving than Yoko this season.
0: How many games do you think the Mavericks can win in the West? Um, Because they have pretty much the, the majority of the same team coming back and, and the few changes that they do have on the roster. I mean, a lot of those guys like a Reggie Bullock for example are going to play similar spot-up roles than, than other guys that they had in the lineup last year. Um, there's not necessarily that second star there unless Porzingis really, really bounces back, um, and we just don't have evidence right now that he's going to be that legitimate second guy to Luca. I mean, I, listen, the the possibilities are there for Luca to average like a thirty-plus point triple-double, improved shooting numbers, like all of those statistical benchmarks can be hit for Luca. But I just you and I mentioned earlier, we don't know if the Mavericks can can win enough games for him to actually vault. The Mavericks into like a top four seed in the West, which I think is probably where the Mavericks would have to be. I don't know how many games do you see the Mavericks winning? How much success do you think they're going to have as a team overall
1: yeah, that's that's an interesting one um you know you kind of alluded to it earlier, and I think this is what you' were getting at. You were saying you don't you have a hard time believing that there's gonna be more than three teams in the West this year with fifty plus wins, and that's because yeah. of the strength of the Eastern Conference now which is kind of incredible how, how great they've become. And this year might be the first year in my, like, like, re- like coherent, like, I don't know, recognition, recollection of things. That that the East is actually um, going to be deeper yeah, than the West. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So um, I don't know, like, numerically. So here, how about this? Like, I'll tell you who I think is definitely better than the Mavs. I think that yep. the Suns are better than the Mavs. I think the Lakers are better than the Mavs. I think that the Nuggets are better than the Mavs. I think the Jazz are better than the Mavs. Um. Oh. I d I don't know if I think the Clippers are better than the Maps because I think the Clippers are like one one bad thing happening to them away from them just kind of, you know, plummeting the whole season and just kind of throwing this one in the in the garbage and starting out fresh next year trying to get a high draft pick. Do they actually do they even have the draft pick this year? Do they
0: I don't know off the top of my head if they do.
1: Okay. Oh, um, that was a silly question for me to ask. I think and also I think the Trailblazers have a better roster despite that one also being flawed so those are like that's right there five teams that i'm like pretty certain have a better in the maps and then you have like guys like the warriors who might might sneak up on you mm-hmm. um it, it, i don't know about the grizzlies the grizzlies might they're they're a candidate to do. obviously with a young team like that you never know when they might finally figure it all out um So, yeah, if you have like for sure five teams, maybe the Clippers, they get things right. Maybe the Warriors, they get things right. I have six teams that are definitely better than you. It's going to be it's going to be hard for them to sneak in the top four. And in terms of wins, I mean, if we're saying that this is going to be the weaker conference, if you're the sixth or seventh seed, I mean, historically, where does that usually fall in terms of wins? That's somewhere like 43 to 46 wins Mm -hmm. in the season. So, I mean, we know that the voter pool won't say, okay, you know, the MVP is a player accomplishment. Wins are a team accomplishment. We have to separate those things. They're going to mix them together, and you know how that goes.
0: Exactly, and that's why it's, it's so difficult. It's what makes MVP wins like Jokic last year, like Russell Westbrook, when he won it with the Thunder. The, those MVP awards were so impressive from an individual standpoint because they, they essentially broke through that barrier of you have to win a certain number of games. For your, for your team to win the MVP award. They broke through that barrier. And, and Luca could be another guy who could do that if his statistical case is just outrageous, which it has the chance to be. Another guy, I don't I don't have him third on my ballot. I really think for me personally, the top two guys, in my opinion, would be Durant and onto the Kumpo. And then my third spot is kind of up for debate. But I, I've already heard Coach David Thorpe throw out Zion's name. For, for potential to win the MVP war because he could lead the league in scoring. I personally don't see it because uh, I just don't think the Pelicans are are going to be a top eight team in in the Western conference, unless I might possibly be missing something there as great as Zion could be as spectacular scoring in the basketball as Brandon Ingram could be. I just, I don't see where the defense is going to come from on that team. And I do mix both individual performance as well as team success with that award. When I'm trying to, to gauge candidates anyways, I I don't see the case for Zion to win it. Did you have any other thoughts to to throw in there before I gave you my dark horse number 3?
1: Uh, uh no. I mean, I, I just uh, <laughs> want to throw this uh, this tweet I saw the other day that Cody Cody Hodek uh he tweeted and I really I really kind of resonated with it. He was like so this point at Giannis's peak, like say it's one of, you know, roughly one of the 20 25 best peaks in NBA history, right? This version of Giannis for Zion to surpass that, because of his defensive limitations at a position where defense is so important, he would probably have to become like, the best offensive player in NBA history. And like, even then, that might not be enough. And I, I tend to agree with that assessment. Um, I just say that because like, you know, a guy like Giannis, who is at the peak of his powers, and even with him being at the peak of his powers, I don't know for sure if I would say he's the best player in the world right now. I think he's a strong candidate for that. But like, it's kind of just to uh, put things into perspective, like Zion, like with all the great parts of his game. And I think right now, like you wouldn't be like looked at the wrong way if you said he's one of the 30 most impactful players in the world at this moment, but I, he's still, he's still a ways away.
0: And and, and to win that award, even if some of those things did happen, the the other point that we brought up earlier, that is obviously important to this award is the amount of games you can play. I think you and I would probably agree that that whatever number you want to set the games played that you need to win this award at, we're probably taking the under for a Zion's actually going to hit that mark anyway. So um, my last guy that I have on my ballot, that I think it has a really interesting dark horse case because of his team success these past few seasons. Now the Utah jazz being one of the best teams in the league record wise in the regular season. I think Donovan Mitchell has an outside shot to, to win this award. Now, it it, it would definitely be going against the grain a little bit. Um, he, He doesn't always have the highest number generating seasons or statistical generating seasons in the regular season. Usually his higher scoring outputs come in the playoffs when his team literally looks to him to carry the load offensively. They don't have a bunch of other guys who can generate and create their own shots. Everything Utah does during the regular season is very system dependent, system heavy. They spread the ball around. They want other guys to shoot. They want to get other guys open shots, but I don't know. There's just something about, I think I I can really feel Donovan Mitchell, especially going out in the playoffs like he did last year, that visible frustration on his face. I think that he's going to come out and have a dynamite individual year. He's going to put more burden on his shoulders. If that improved three-point shooting also translates to the regular season. I mean, in previous postseason, that was shot like 40 plus percent from three-point range. Like if a lot of that translates and he really gives a major boost to his individual scoring numbers, um, and that team plays up to the level that they're capable of in the regular season. They finished with the best regular season record in the Western Conference. I think there is an outside chance for for him to may, maybe if he doesn't win the MVP award, I think he could at least sneak on to some ballots. What do you think about Donovan Mitchell?
1: He's actually like for like personal reasons, probably one of my favorite players in the game right now. I love him. Mm-hmm. I love everything he stands for, and I really think that you kind of got to it. I think that the way he's developed his pull-up three-point shot, like it makes him incredibly like uh resilient scorer in the playoffs and like a very beneficial player i'm also i've been on the record and i've been like destroyed by sun's twitter for saying this but like i do believe that you know if not for terrence Mann, you know lighting the building on fire in game six i think the jazz have a, have a real chance at being the nba champions and like you know revisionist history would have kicked in we'd be thinking of them in a completely different light but um I thought for a second when you mentioned the Utah Jazz that you were going to go like the John Hollinger route and say like you think Rudy Gobert was going to be the MVP. This yeah, Co- Co-
0: another Coach Thorpe anecdote: the Co- that Rudy Gobert is the best player on the Jazz. It's not Donovan Mitchell, but no, that's, that's not where I was going. But
1: yeah, but um, um my number three was Steph. I think that um, the league is finally caught on that you know this guy is he's on another level historically as an offensive player. Um, one of the five greatest offensive peaks, maybe higher one of the five best offensive players ever. And I think that cool thing, like if we're doing like the little like psychological part about it is like Steph knows in the back of his mind, unlike LeBron and Giannis, this season, he probably isn't going to be prepping for a deep playoff run. So he can leave it all on the line at the regular season. And we saw it last year. He finished third in the MVP voting and he didn't make the playoffs. That's how, that's how incredible he was. Like, you know how we talked about the voter pool and they're winning by us. He was such a, like a strong candidate for that award. That he was able to overcome the winning bias. So yeah, he's my third guy right now. But um, I mean that's a that's an interesting take to have. If I had to pick my dark horse guy, it'd probably be Trey Young. I think Ooh, because yeah. on the flip side, to me, he's not like he's not a he's not a top fifteen player in the league. You know, not not to diss him, but like I feel like you know the way the awards are set up again, I think that Atlanta is a strong candidate to improve this year after the success they had in the playoffs with all their young players. Some of the guys they were missing during that playoff run. And of course, you know, they're going to attribute that success to the guy who leads the box scoring points per game, and it'll most likely be Trae Young if everything's going the right way. So I could definitely see him getting some votes.
0: One guy I haven't seen mentioned at all in the preseason MVP conversation is a guy who has appeared on an MVP ballot before, who would be Paul George. Um, and And... For the Clippers to maintain status quo as a top four team in the West, especially without Kawhi, pretty much the majority of the regular season, if not the entire regular season, he would have to go absolute bonkers um, in in putting up numbers and really carrying that team because I don't know who else they're really going to look to offensively to step up and help that team win as many games. Like You know that if the Clippers would achieve that feat, it was because he had an even better season than when he declared himself the MVP. Any.
1: Any small chance you think Paul George could sneak on the balance? Yeah, um, n- no. I, honestly, <laughs> I I love Paul George, and I think that he's one again. He's like probably in the top fifteen. Uh, I would say like Jimmy Butler slightly better than him if we're talking about like guys in that archetype. But um, yep. I think his his skill set is definitely more like ceiling ceiling raiser than floor raiser. So I don't I don't think this is a good like situation for him. Like people think uh, that oh, he's the only star now. Like, they're not going to win as much, but he's going to put up these incredible numbers. But I really think his skill set is more conducive to kind of playing off somebody. And I mean, that's that's even better when you're thinking about building a championship team that's just not good for a season where, you know, your best player was catastrophe, like catastrophically injured, and now you're relying on him. So I think he'll have a fine season, but nothing close enough to warrant consideration for this award.
0: All right. Defensive player of the year. So this man that's atop my ballot, he may be atop your ballot. He's a guy that we've actually already mentioned his name, talking about the Utah Jazz, that would be Rudy Gobert. And he just seems, at, at the very least, if we're talking about preseason projections, he, he's probably just the, the cleanest cut favorite to be at the top of that ballot. And then I have, I have Giannis Antetokounmpo, and I have Joel Embiid as the third guy. Um, but but Rudy again, the Utah Jazz have such a great chance to be to have the best record in the Western Conference next year. He's obviously the anchor of a perennial top five defense, it seems, in the league the regular season every year. Um Giannis really has the same level of argument just in the Eastern Conference versus the Western Conference. And then Joel Embiid, if 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 Ben Simmons really sits out the year or they trade him, they are not going to get back nearly the same return defensively as to what Ben Simmons actually provides. And and I'm, I'm a little afraid being a 76ers fan that the defensive weight that's going to be put on Joel and beats shoulders without Ben Simmons might break him a, a little bit. I mean, they really don't have any other defensive standouts at this point other than the T but he's not necessarily a lockdown type defender. He's much more of a playmaker defensively versus a one-on-one stopper. So I, I he would have to be for the Seventy Sixers to not completely fall out of the top six. He would have to be, in my opinion, on another level defensively without Ben Simmons, which is why I would I would keep him in this race and I would put him third on my ballot. But what does your ballot look like for defensive player of the year?
1: Yeah, so um, I'm going to say it first, then I'll kind of explain myself. But um, I'm going to go with Clint Capella winning next year. Um, I have love it. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Gobert. And then I do have Giannis, but I also have kind of peeking in the rear view and like pretty close. I think Bam could very well finish in the top three Mm -hmm. this year. And then this probably won't happen just because I mean, I don't think he's going to play 70 games, and I don't think the Lakers want him playing 70 games, but I do believe he is like we're talking about the truly one of the three best defenders in the league. Anthony Davis Mm -hmm. could find himself in the, the top in my top five, but um. I could honestly see if Anthony Davis really turned it on for postseason. If he went like Game Four second half against the Miami Heat when he locked out Jay Ball. if he did that for an 82 game stretch, I think he, people would be like, "What the hell is this?" Like, I know that was something that human beings could do, but um, different story for a different day. So,
0: I want to hear the Clint Capella argument. Like you, you yeah, are so you are I'm going like all in on the Hawks at this point the, this year. I'm like you not, mentioned, really not, Young though. dark
1: horse. <laughs> I'm really not though, but um, okay. So here's my thing. I think it's just like kind of like. He's like, um, he just kind of wins by default because, okay, so I don't. I think, like, this is wrong. This is very wrong. I think that he played exceptionally well in that Clippers series, but I think that the guys who are voting on this award are so sour on, on Gobert at this point. They're like, <laughs> I cannot have my defensive player of the year get played off the floor. And technically, he didn't get played off the floor in game six because, you know, he kept him in there and he kept getting burned. Like, they, they let him get burned throughout the game. I feel like Quinn Snyder was kind of doing that just so nobody would say he got played off the floor. Like, just keep letting this guy get burned over and over again. But, um, no, I think Obert is the best defensive player in the world. But, um, again, like I said, I don't think anybody's going to let him win that award again after what's happened. Um, With Giannis, again, I think that now that he's kind of gotten the – proverbial monkey off his back. I think that the emphasis on the regular season's gonna be a little bit different for his team, especially with the shortened end offseason again. That's so fair. I, I think I think he'll still be a very, very strong defender. And like I said, he'll probably finish top three in my ballot because he is an incredible defender. But um I think that that team will slow it down. I'll probably take their foot off the gas a little bit uh as they're gearing for a, a repeat run. And then um I think Bam Bam could really Really sneak up on some people because I think the heat will improve a lot this year. And, you know, usually when teams improve, like that gets them a chance at more awards. And I think Bam's always been an incredible defender, one of the most versatile defenders in the league. Um, But I think Clint wins because there's a couple things. Um, I know this is more anecdotal and I shouldn't lean too much into this, but I do remember when he got, he had, I was reading something where he got interviewed. He was talking about like his distaste for not even being selected to an all defensive team last year and um he was like so motivated to not only win uh get nominated for a defensive team but to win the defensive player of the year award and i mean if you look at and i i know they're not great but like if you look at all the one number defensive metrics it was like it was um it was gobert and then it was like a big gap and then it was capella you know what i mean so capella was right there with him in a lot of stats um and if you look at the eye test he was incredible especially against the knicks in that series but like you know Building that wall on Randall, I think he was awesome, and I mean he's improved so much. I mean, with uh, the Rockets, he was like above average defender for his size, but now he's like this elite level defender. So I, I think he'll get it because of all the other outside factors that are kind of working against everybody else. But I also think he'll deserve it when he gets it.
0: He's he was he was on some of my honorable mentions along with Bam. Both of them are on my honorable mentions. Um, really, I, I think the Heat probably are going to take a massive leap forward this year and that's probably going to be because of a lot of what they will do defensively and bam would be the captain of that defense through and through so i agree with um having him in those projections i would love to see clint capella win the award i would love to see him win any award because he's he is one of the most underappreciated players in the nba let alone big men and you laid out a fantastic case yeah i i, I would love for him to win that award i also do think the hawks are going to be massively improved in the regular season they're going to build off all the playoff momentum so i i can i can definitely see that happening and i I would root for it um more of the award that's technically the most in my wheelhouse as a draft draft podcast as a draft platform rookie of the year and i think i see a lot of the same three guys on everybody's preseason projections i'm curious to see if You would differ anywhere, but I would have Jalen Green first and foremost, because I think he's going to lead all rookies in scoring. He's going to have the most opportunity. He certainly stands the chance, along with number two guy, Cade Cunningham, to have the biggest roles within the offense on their respective teams. But I think Jalen's going to not necessarily just outplay Cade on the offensive end and be a little bit more of a complete offensive player in his first year in the league. I think there's a chance he actually outperforms him defensively. And it was really fun watching the Wizards Rockets preseason game last night. I know everyone out there, it's just preseason. I'm not going to give Matt sort of like 30 different overreactions to NBA preseason basketball here on this podcast, but it was, it was really fun watching that team take up their defensive intensity, and that really did come from the backcourt, not only just Kevin Porter Jr., but also Jalen Green. And Jalen Green is one of the most competitive prospects I think I've ever seen come out of the draft. And it's not just because he's one of those offensive killers who can make a shot from anywhere on the floor. It's also because he takes defense with pride. And you saw that for the G League Ignite. He improved from the start of that year all the way down to that playoff game that they had against Toronto against the Raptors 905. He he really improved defensively as a one-on-one and in some aspects a team defender. So I think just given how he's going to improve over the course of the year on both ends, I would give him the edge to the award. Kate Cunningham. We know he's going to be one of the top guys on the Detroit Pistons. He's going to have a lot of offensive responsibility. Really interesting case to be um, a sneaky good wing defender in the future as well. I don't know how much of that's going to take shape his rookie year, but I was always curious going back to, to watching Oklahoma State about his defensive potential in the NBA as a switchable guy. You saw some of that in summer league. And then number three, Jalen Suggs. I don't know how spectacular of a rookie year he's going to have in Orlando because of that log jam backcourt situation that they have but i just know that out of all those guys he will be the guy to get top most priority within that offense he's going to get every single opportunity he can to prove himself as a player on both ends of the floor another guy like jalen green who's his toughest nails one of the best comp- competitors we've had come out of the draft of late so i think by a number standpoint he would probably be the third guy on the ballot because of the n- amount of opportunity he'll have. but i'm curious to hear if your ballot's the same if it's different
1: where where are you going with it, Matt? Yeah, so um, little sidebar. I don't know if you know this about me, Nate, but um, I am from Michigan, Metro Detroit area, so I do have a little a little Homer bias. but I don't think you can call me a Homer here because I'm talking about the guy. You know, Harold is one of the best prospects since Luka Doncic, so um, I do believe Kate Cunningham will win um, Rookie of the Year this year. We'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, I think Green finishes at two think you will have a lot of opportunity in Houston to do that and get his buckets and all that. I think three will be Sog, so we agree there. But um, a couple like my honorable mentions, and like as we know, this award highly favors like the bucket getters. Yep. I think that Book Knight and uh, Cam Thomas, both of them, if one of them can can really put up some good shooting splits and you know get a lot of reps, I think one of them could really really pop and get a lot of votes, especially Cam Thomas if Kyrie doesn't play. 'cause like he is a really good scorer and he's still gonna be around two guys who, you know, command a lot of gravity. So I think he might I don't wanna say look better than he is, but he'll definitely be in a, a really good really good context. Um but so back to my Kate thing. I think that Well like I understand that Kate's gonna be sharing the backcourt with Killian, but I think that him sharing a backcourt with Killian is going to be more conducive to a higher usage rate than Green sharing a backcourt with Porter, because as we know, like you know, Porter does, he has like to get the ball off his hands and not not to make a pass to a teammate to towards the <laughs> rim. But um,
0: I do think Porter Jr. is probably going to lead yeah. the team in scoring, Um, and that's yeah, technically yeah, an like, unpopular pick. I think a lot of people would say Christian Wood would be the top candidate to lead that team in scoring, but I think you saw it in the preseason last night. They're going to put the ball in Porter's hands. They want him to do a lot. Um, I think it's going to be both of those guards really just jacking up virtually any shot they can get their hands on. But that 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 does technically factor in. You're right.
1: And I think that um, um, it's kind of like I mean it's very very similar to last year's battle for rookie of the year. It's going to be you know Edwards and Ball, and now we've got Cunningham and Green. But now here's what here's the catch though: you have a better shooter in Cunningham than Ball. Like you know Cunningham is, and you're the draft guy, so you know a little more about this. But um. Like I said, you know, mentioning Bryce again. Bryce has told me, hasn't told me. He's told me while I'm listening to him in a podcast. But um he said that um he he fancies Cunningham to maybe be the best shooting prospect in the draft. And I mean that bodes well for a guy who might be the best yep. playmaker in the draft. So I think those things are in his favor. And you talked about the defense, which is something I really wanted to talk about from the small sample size of him that I've seen. I don't watch a lot of college hoops, I don't do a lot of scouting, I'm more of a historical guy. But um well, I do scouting, but in a sense, it's already happened. So I just yeah. I scout how it happened as opposed to projecting what will happen. But um, I mean, point of attack defense is very strong. He's long, and from what I know about guys with high IQ, really good spatial awareness, really good feel. They're they're usually really good off ball defenders, mm-hmm. and of course, he has the length. Um, I don't think he's that strong, like in comparison to guys who're usually his size. So I think that'll be a weakness moving forward, and verticality wise, I don't, I don't imagine him being a good rim protector which is not important for the position he plays on the court so i think that his his potential upside in defense and the tools he already has thanks to the high iq makes him a better defender between the two at the moment and i don't know just things like that i think green will be a fine basketball player but i mean to me like green's upside is like okay he's going to be like a you know 15 top 15 top 20 guy in the nba all-star candidate maybe sneak into an all-nba team and you can correct me if you disagree here but i think that on the other end will probably be a guy who finds himself in a lot of all NBA teams moving forward.
0: I definitely see that in his future. I just, I don't know how much of that success is going to take shape in his rookie season. And a lot of it comes back to how he's built and his lack of having that elite first step. And we saw some of that. It's one thing because we we talk about a guy, an all-NBA guy in a similar size range, for example, at least height-wise, like Luka Doncic, right? The, the thing that Luka Doncic has is that he doesn't have the quickest first step either, but if he is able to anticipate how that defender is playing him, if he's able to get the right angle, even just like a little bit of like a half step, he has the strength to keep somebody on his hip, and that guy is not going to get around and bother that shot. He is going to keep that guy there. And I haven't seen that from Cade yet, I think that's a level of craft that he's going to have to develop over time. But I do agree with you about the shooting. He is an incredible shooter. We already saw that in summer league. Clearly he's going to have no problem at the NBA three-point line. And I think he is one of those rookies that could knock down between 38 to 40% of his threes right off the bat, which is I, I don't have all the numbers in front of me for rookies over past years. But I'd have to, I'd have to say that's pretty rare. Right, you you and I would agree. Yeah. <laughs> so, so whatever. he, yeah. Go ahead.
1: I just want to say, like, and I know this is different because I have to say Lamelo has a a better first step than Cade, but like, you know, again, Lamelo is able to leverage that feel. I think that passing wise, like the NBA's for those kind of guys, for the like the savants, you know what I mean, the passing mm-hmm. savants. Like, I think that. NBA is not that different, it's just like bigger and stronger pieces on the board. I think that they'll still be able to to see things the way they see him you know. He's a, he's a gamer. I mean, you know that. And I think here's my thing with um the the first step thing cuz again, like I think that it's not so much about having a first step for players to be good scores. You got to have a mechanism for creating an advantage, right? So Steph it's like the really quick release. Yep. Or like Luka, it's the strength um with Green it is that first step, but I think with Cunningham he does have the ability to knock down pull up three point shots and i think mm-hmm. that's that's something that's in the back of his hand where defenders are gonna have to play that however they choose and then from there he can kind of operate and use his use of it but i do agree with you that he's early on he won't be like you know incredible at getting the rim and that's definitely something he's gonna he's gonna have to figure out because high level guys his size usually are like good at getting the rim and good at getting free throw attempts
0: the way that I think he would win the Rookie of the Year award if his statistical case is, is pretty similar on par with Jalen Green is if the Pistons do end up winning at may, maybe not just a few more basketball games, but quite a few more basketball games than the Houston Rockets, which I actually think that's a possibility. I think the Pistons could be sneakily competitive in, in the Eastern Conference, and I, I I don't mean that I think they're going to be a playoff team, but I mean they they could push up – and not be one of the worst teams in the East. I think they could actually be like the 11th best team in the Eastern Conference. And if that's the case, record wise, I think Houston's probably going to be near the bottom of the league just because of how young their team is. Like they're probably going to be like 14th or 15th in the West. If you see the Pistons get up to like around that 11th slot and they are actually competitive in a lot of their games, like I think they will because I think defensively they have a chance to be pretty sneaky good. Um, And that would play into a lot of what you see with Kate Cunningham. I think that that's how, he would win the Rookie of the Year award, and I'm leaving that door wide open because of some of my a- a admitted positives that I see from the Pistons. What do you think about the team around Kane and how you think the Pistons will perform this year overall? To to that point of his Rookie of the Year case.
1: Um, I talked to my buddy Bryce—not Bryce Hendricks, Bryce Simon—over at Motor City Hoops all the time mm-hmm. about them. Um, I think that like moving forward in the future, that five-man rotation of Hayes Bay penningham Stewart and Grant is very promising' Just a full of interesting guys on the bench but um this season's gonna be kind of interesting to me because it, it could go like one of two ways I think you know one way is you know they they kind of kind of play their their young guys in a more traditional offense and you know kind of prepare them for moving forward in the future all that stuff you know more half court stuff. And another way could be, like, okay, so, like, I look at that Hornets team last year. What did they do? They, you know, they they sped things up. They played more in ball style. And as we know, like being a good transition team in the regular season, it, it doesn't mean too much. Like, it gets you the wins in the regular season. It's more of, like, a floor-raising tendency to have because in the playoffs, you know, you're not – it doesn't matter how good you are in transition. and Like, it's just not going to be there as much. We saw that with Ben Simmons, you know. And so, I mean, I think that could be an avenue the Pistons try to do is, like, okay, let's speed things up this year and not sacrifice like playoff resiliency because you know regardless if you sneak into the playoffs you're going to get knocked around anyways like it'd be cool to get in but like kind of just like push to the side like you know getting the hammering home those like playoff tendencies that you kind of need to have like the half-court principles and establishing all that and if that's like how they want to do it i think they could win a lot more games and surprise a lot more teams and they could kind of end up being the charlotte hornets of this season you know what i mean the Charlotte Hornets from last year that is of this season
0: yeah I I 100% agree with that sentiment I love a lot of what the Pistons have done I definitely think that Cade was the right pick for them there was a lot of Jalen Green buzz at the time I kind of think that the top three picks landed in my opinion the best three spots specifically for them so I'm going to enjoy watching a lot of the Pistons this year after we're recording this podcast um, October 6th. I'm going to flip on the Pistons-Spurs game, literally as soon as we're and we're done recording this podcast. So I can't wait to watch more of them this year. Um, Sixth man of the year ballot. Now, we already hit on one candidate, and I'm very curious to hear some of your pushback on Jordan Clarkson. I do not have him number one on my ballot, but I do have him number three. I'll build up a little bit to number one. Number two, this is mainly because I don't know if he's going to start for Boston this year, I think he's going to come off the bench. And if he does, I think Dennis Schroeder has a really, really strong case to be in the six man of the year race because of everything that we know he's capable of doing in a sixth man type role. He would have a lot of offensive responsibility with that second unit. He would get plenty of opportunities to be the leading scorer on that second unit, besides being the setup man in a lot of situations. So I think if he is primarily a bench player for the majority of this year, and they let the starting backcourt, at least the starting point guard spot, be to Marcus Smart, then I would have Dennis Schroeder number two on that ballot. And number one, on that Miami Heat team that we both think is actually going to be really good in the East this year, I actually have Tyler Hero, because I think they're probably going to start Duncan Robinson over Tyler Hero at the shooting guard spot. We know that they brought in Kyle Lowry to man that point guard position. And Tyler is the sixth guy on that team. And he came out in his first preseason game, and he was shooting lights out. I think he was a little bit frustrated with his performance last year. He did not have a bad second year. I know a lot of people want to say that he was a bad sophomore player. No, he wasn't bad. He just didn't build off of what he did in the bubble, and he didn't surpass some of those expectations that were put on him. He didn't have a bad year, though. I think he is going to have a dynamite year three, in which case he would be in a six-man role. And I think he's going to have a little bit of that narrative to him that he was one of the better performers on a Miami Heat team that lived up to preseason expectations, given the Kyle Lowry trade, the P.J. Tucker acquisition. And I think that that's how he wins Sixth man of the year. He would be my number one. What What does your ballot look like, Matt?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, pretty, pretty similar. Um, uh, I'm watching my train of thought now. Uh, fuck. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but, um... So, some guys that are like pushing outwards, I would say like these are not in my top three of my outside guys honorable mentions. I guess I'm going backwards from what I've been doing so far, but I'm like Derek Rose, I think he falls outside, yep, he's always like I voters just love Derek Rose because like the <laughs> behind him. You know if you're a sentimental topic, I think Cam Thomas could very well get some votes. um, this one's a curious one to me because I think he would be in my top three But I don't know if they're gonna start him or not, and I do think they are going to start him because of the situation, but I think Reggie Jackson. I to get a really strong playoffs and I think he's gonna build on that immensely. And I think he's really he's finally found the team with the role that's right for him. He's he's definitely more bought in on defense. So I do have him kind of falling outside of the top ten top three, excuse me. Um I I don't see a world where Jordan Clarkson finishes in my top three. But uh do um
0: Give me the case against Jordan Clarkson. Give me, give me the cases to why you didn't okay, think this it was him my, last year. I guess, yeah. The,
1: I guess this is my case because I want to hear this one. <laughs> well, he's he's just like the. I, I guess like I, now I'm like going against almost every other six man in NBA history, but like he's just the prototypical like. High high volume, below average efficiency. Yep. Um, you know defense. I'm I'm gonna pick and choose. You know when I feel like playing and when I do play it, I, I really don't offer that much anyways because I'm not a skilled of a defender. Um, pass, like doesn't do too much for you passing. I know there's like value in being able to take second units and you know raise like the floor on them and like keep them afloat as your first unit guys aren't there. But I just I don't see it with him. Like I don't think that's what I'd want for my sixth man. I want my sixth man to be a guy who ideally closes games with me. And I think like. He's too redundant, like for what, especially with the Jazz do with Conley and Mitchell. Like I would mm-hmm. never want Clarkson closing a game with those guys, because what is he, what, what additional value does he bring? He does other than his like, you know, like I said, low average, on high volume, on ball scoring. You know, when you can get Conley and Mitchell to do it on above average efficiency, but not to make this like a <laughs> let's knock every six man NBA history thing, but it's just for me, and it's because my number one is is teammate Joe Engels. I think that. Last year they made a mistake not making him the um uh the rookie of the year. I mean excuse me, rookie of the year, the sixth man of the year. His uh, if correct me if I'm wrong, but it's relative true shooting. Wasn't it like plus it's subsist- it, all of like his it.
0: shooting numbers, advanced metrics are absurd. All yeah. of them.
1: Yeah, and he and the thing is he does everything that I want my sixth man to do. Yes, he like, does. He's a great passer, he's not a good defender, but god damn it, does he does he put it all on the floor when he plays defense? Um, he's a you know great shooter, and he can play off other high level guys. Like that's exactly who I want my sixth man to be: be a guy who can be like a secondary, tertiary ball handler late game, and then for a couple minutes to start the second quarter, be like the primary ball handler. He can play like twenty five minutes a game. I like I like Ingles a lot, and I really hope that the committee, you know, awards him this year for his efforts last year. I hope that he puts up a season very similar to last year. And I think there's a, a really good chance he does. I hope that this time the committee recognizes it. But uh, I now I remember my two win three. I don't know why I was blanking for a second. At two, I do have Tyler Hero. I think that um he's in a really good spot this year where a lot of those starters are gonna kind of leak into his minutes when he's not coming off the bench to six man. I think that'll be perfect because those starters will kind of be playing compliment to him when he is like heading the offense. I think that as you said, he didn't he didn't like progress last season. The problem was like He improved like from the bubble time, but like he, he literally played games like a month and a half after he, um, he played in the finals. So there's not really like too much improvement. You know what I mean? Like I'm not going to be a better podcaster if we do this podcast three (laughs) days from now, you know? Um, there's that. And then I do have, if he does not start, I think that Dennis Schroeder, he has all the makings of a guy who could have a really good season this year. Um, Jackson Frank pointed out to me in, not to me, but like to the Twitter general public. He posted, I forget what he posted, but it was, a some clips of uh, Dennis Schroeder playing defense. He's actually a, a much stronger point of attack defender than we give him credit for. Mm-hmm. And then I do think with like what's happened with his agent, and you know him getting kind of um, robbed of some of the money he 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 should have gotten. I think this year he's going to be playing with chip on his shoulder, and we as we've seen, he's he's a good scorer who will definitely be in a much better system this year.
0: So I I agree with you on joe ingles being the guy from the jazz to compete for the award if he doesn't start um i I guess i'm i'm assuming what Royce Royce bruce o'neill will probably be the starting three i guess at this point with bogdanovich and then gobert that's probably what the front court i guess is going to look like so i I probably should have known better to to know that joe ingles is going to be coming off the bench um the one interesting thing and, and another aside as to why i think that tyler hero has the inside track to win the award He will have to do – I'll be interested to see how Miami staggers the rotations with Hero coming off the bench because when they put a lot of playmaking responsibility in his hands, I think that there's a lot of people that think he can be more of a point guard than necessarily more of like an off-ball type of scorer, but he doesn't necessarily handle the volume particularly well, and I'll be interested to see how much they throw at him. And the only reason I'm saying that is because – If Victor Oladipo isn't healthy, I mean, who's the other ball handling type guard they're going to be bringing off the bench besides Tyler Hero? So, like, is he going to come off the bench and exclusively play with one of Kyle or Jimmy almost the entire time? I'll be interested to see how that happens. But if they do give him some runs with different lineups where he is pretty much the only like lead ball handler type out there, then, yeah, some of the passing numbers that he could put up if everything works out. We know the shooting and the scoring are probably going to be there, improved going into his third year. Yeah, I just think he has he has a tremendous chance to blow some of the statistical stuff out of the water. And, yeah, just just given the lack of depth that Miami really has as a team, I, I pointed this out on our East preview pod, that like you get past like him and Morris on the bench, and if Oladipo isn't healthy, who else is Miami really relying upon? And I know when you get to the playoffs – that it's generally like a seven-man type of rotation, maybe an eight-man type of rotation, but that's what they're going to have pretty much through the regular season. I don't know Oladipo's status, but yeah, that that's a big reason why I think that the Tyler has an inside track to to win the award. We we've talked about Miami a little bit. How how do you see them playing out in the East overall this year? Do you think they're going to be one of the top three teams in the East? How do you feel about the the depth that they have? What do you think about the Miami Heat this year?
1: I do I really do think that they're going to be Maybe not like record-wise, because like it's a veteran team, so I don't know how, how much they're invested in having like a great regular season record. But I think like overall, like they're one of my three S teams in the Eastern Conference. Um, I uh, I talked to David Ramel and I, I listen to him all the time on Lockdown. Heat, and he's like really optimistic about the prospects of uh, Victor Oladipo like coming back and being an impactful player this season. And I think that if that does happen, like that's a whole different wild card um i don't want to like base like my beliefs on them in him coming back but i think if he comes back and he's like expected to be like your sixth or seventh man like that's awesome and then you have Mm -hmm. taylor hero who like we said like that's the idea of the sixth man i want a guy on like moderate like sizable volume with high efficiency that's the kind of guy i want as my sixth man so i mean having him and then you know of course i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go and name like the, the murders row of guys they have in that starting lineup but um I think their top-end talent and their seven and eight guys are good enough to compete with most teams in the league. I think they have kind of that, like, that, I don't, I hate using word but, like, that dog, like, in Jimmy Butler, who really, truly can. And I know there's no number that backs this, but, like, he's the kind of guy who, like, he's a match for any opponent. You know what I mean? Like, he he can play to the level of any opponent when the moment calls for it in moments of time. He's kind of like a, like Clint Eastwood in the movie, like, Unforgiven, you know, where he's, like, he's, like, just dueling with people. But um, you no, know, I do I do like that team line. I love Spo. I think Spo's a great yep. coach. One of the five or six best coaches this league has. I don't know. I think I think there's like a there's a real universe where like, you know, say like Kyrie stuff goes downhill where you know the Miami Heat are the team that's representing the East in the finals.
0: Absolutely, especially especially if PJ Tucker gets back more of what we would expect from him, not necessarily how he tailed off a little bit. For the Bucs last year in the playoffs, if he's dynamite, if Bam is the defensive captain that you and I think that he is, if Jimmy goes back to being that guy that we saw in the bubble in in some of those later playoff games, yeah, I could absolutely see it from from the Miami Heat 100%. You and I are in lockstep there. So NBA most improved player. This was a fun ballot to put together because I think any of these three guys could win the award. And I, I also have, in my opinion, someone who I think is a really strong Dark Horse candidate as well. But I'll start at the top, Michael Porter Jr. I think that we've already talked about how good we think the the Denver Nuggets are going. Well, I didn't technically talk about how good I think the Denver Nuggets are going to be, but you are certainly high on the Nuggets. And the Nuggets will not have the same levels of success that they've had in years past without Jamal Murray if Michael Porter Jr. just doesn't go bonkers scoring the basketball. And I've outlined his statistical case on this podcast numerous times, especially when we did the Western Conference preview that his synergy numbers shooting the basketball are absurd. I don't think anybody else other of Kevin Durant has his complete uh, an efficiency profile when you're looking at a lot of the synergy shooting stats as Michael Porter Jr. And as long as he's given more volume and opportunity, which he definitely will be, I think that he has a strong chance to lead that team in scoring, even over Nikola Jokic. And if he did something like that, I think that he would be a shoe in to win most improved player. My second guy would be Kevin Porter Jr. I think that Kevin Porter Jr. is going to have a dynamite season. For the Houston Rockets, we've already seen some of the potential, but now that he's going to be in that starting lineup, they're keeping John Wall out of the situation. They're going to try to try their best to find a home for him, but he won't be there. They want that point guard role to be Kevin Porter Jr.'s exclusively, and I think he's going to kill it. He has a lot of untapped passing talent. He's a three-level scoring guard, has one of the better handles for a guard. I think maybe possibly even underrated handle for a guard he can create, get to anywhere he wants on the floor. He can do virtually anything he wants to do scoring the basketball. If his efficiency is there, if his numbers obviously improve, if we see some of the defense out of him that we saw last night against the Wizards, then I think that even adds to the case even more because he was a pretty bad defender last year, but if he shows improvement, then yeah, that only adds to his case. And then Anthony Edwards is my third guy. I think that he, he, again he could even win the award um usually they don't give it to sophomore players usually it's like a second to a third or a third to fourth year improvement type of award but if there was one player who could potentially break that mold i think anthony edwards could definitely do it not saying that the Lomelo couldn't do it either um but i would have anthony edwards in there because i think that his scoring average i could see him improving his scoring average by like five to six points per game just because i think that he will take that step forward and then if he's committed to playing defense and being a playmaker on that end of the floor as well, then we could talk about him as one of the better two-way wing options in the entire NBA, let alone just in his age group. So that could definitely help him make a case. Um, What what does your top three ballot look like, Matt?
1: Yeah, um, I'm going to be honest with you, man, like this ward is so tough because like, (laughs) <laughs> you know it's always it's always a guy you don't expect and like every year right. we do this like we, we usually just take like a guy who's a rookie or a guy who's a sophomore and like we, we kind of mistaken growth for like improvement but um so okay I'm gonna give you some names okay I don't I don't have like a top three I'm gonna give you some names I'm gonna give you a guy who, who I mean I think it's gonna be like a dark horse because like technically if you're doing this right your prediction is going to be a dark horse a dark so horse like, yeah Yeah, so I mean, I'm gonna give you the guy who I think, like my guts telling me, he's gonna do it and he's gonna shock a lot of people. But um, so some guys. So here's like the mainstream ones, like O.G. and Anubie, Kelvin Johnson, MPJ. Um, you could look at some some less uh, mainstream ones, Afriani Simons in Portland. You know, they were really really high on him a couple years ago. Used to say like, this is the year it finally finally works out for him. Um, PJ Dozier, he's going to get a lot more reps this season with Jabal Murray being hurt. He's uh, he's a guy Denver thinks really high. Uh, high That's red. a
0: fantastic dark horse. <laughs> he yeah. didn't even come across my mind when I was doing this. Yeah,
1: no. Um, another one. This one I, I kind of feel more strongly about. Uh, Jackson Hayes in New Orleans because you know you've been hearing things like he's starting to develop a jump shot. He looks a lot better. He's moving a lot better. But he's in his third year now. He's one of those guys who the the committee might mistake in, you know. Improvement for growth and all that stuff. Um, and he would, like, you know, we talk about trying to make that team make more sense. Like, okay, when you have a guy like Zion, what, the perfect five you want next to him is, like, like a three and D center, which is yep. like nearly impossible to find. Like, the I, I guess it's like Miles Turner, but Miles Turner isn't even, like, a good enough three-point shooter to, like, fall into that category.
0: I was talking with somebody playing. about that last week and like, what what kind of partner, what kind of player would you want next to Zion A stretch five? And I said to them, I'm like, I think they already have that guy in the roster and Jackson Hayes. just a matter of when, not, not necessarily. And if. I
1: think, I think this year could be that year. And if he becomes that guy and he opens things up for Zion, and he becomes every analytics hero. Um, <laughs> but um, by the way, we, we didn't, I kind of feel bad now. We didn't talk about miles Turner during the defensive player of the year stuff, which, you know, it's kind of sad because, you know, he deserves a little bit of credibility. He does. For that. He does. But so I've been dancing around this for a little while. But um, I guess, like, if you put me on the spot and said, like, who's your most improved player of the year, it's going to sound like really weird. Oh, I swear I'm not a Duke fan, but I think there's, like, a, a universe where Grayson Allen is the most improved player of the year. <sighs> but hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. So it gets traded to the Bucs. Who now are in need of a guy who does what he does, which is movement shooting, um, you know, playing like tough tougher defense. He's not a great defender, but he plays really hard on that end of the floor. And I think that with everything going on this year, um, like I said, with Giannis probably putting his foot like, off the gas a little bit, Chris and Drew all they're all trying to conserve them for a, a finals run. I think him like being around like a more talented pool of guys being with Bud, who's done incredibly well with movement short shooters historically. Al Corver was an all star under him. Um, I think that this is like the perfect situation for him where he can feed off their gravity. And they're like, it's going to be like, I guess I'm coining a new term here. I don't think ever, like passive gravity, where like Giannis is going to be on the floor. He won't be like 120%, but like him being at like 94%, being like passive, but still incredible, like it's just Still more than enough gravity to give Grayson the kind of shooting windows that he needs. Um, but no, I think I could really see a version of things this year where Grayson Allen's like a, a 15 to 17 point per game score on like plus four, plus five true shooting efficiency. And I think that would just be such like a difference from what we've seen from him so far in his career that that might get him the nod. Know that's so, that, that, that
0: version of him for you would probably be that he's the other guard on the floor, then closing games for them instead of Dante yes. DiVincenzo, who you think would probably have that spot. But if Grayson is the player that you outlined, then he would be that guy closing games.
1: Now, yes. And mm, it doesn't necessarily have to be either or. I mean, if you like, theoretically, you could go Holiday, those two, Middleton, Hannes. I mean, that one's a, putting a huge burden on Middleton for spot. But, uh, I mean, how many more years are they going to rely on Brooke to do what he, he – don't get me wrong, he stepped up big time in the postseason, and the amount of effort he put in really trying to play defense in the drop coverage was – you know, he deserves all the credit in the world. And well, I the answer to that, to
0: last play. year's personnel, if you take Brooke off the floor, would have been Connaughton then technically stepping in mm-hmm. would have been last year's answer. But I could see Grayson stepping in, absolutely.
1: Yeah, and they're the same height. I know different profile, kind of can stronger, mm-hmm. uh, better rebounder. But um, yeah, I don't know. I really, I really like. I was thinking about it, and I'm like, no, this sounds stupid. And then I, I talked it out to myself. I'm like, wait, no, this, this kind, of, this works. You know what I mean? I don't know, but I think Grayson Allen might be the most approved player of the year. That's probably the only time you'll ever hear those words uttered in, in this this version of the timeline. But what I've got,
0: my dark horse is Jordan Poole um for for golden state and you you've already already saw it in in the preseason game against portland he'll get plenty more opportunities especially with clay out um that that he is one of the best shooters that they have on that team i think he's probably the third best shooter they have right behind steph and and clay i i I, at least i would say so um and he will be the guy that gets those opportunities starting at shooting guard this year while clay is out andrew liggins will be the small forward for them even when clay comes back though I could really see the Warriors leaning heavily into a lineup where it's Steph, Jordan Poole, and then Clay at the three. And then they kind of figure out who they play at the four and the five. Like, I could see Jordan Poole end up being that level of a flamethrower from the perimeter. And it's like Steph, and especially Draymond, we saw it last year. The, the amount of side eyes and looks that like they gave some of their teammates when they were missing, like open corner three pointers. You know that when they create those shots for somebody in the corner when they're wide open, they want guys on the floor who can knock down those shots, no questions asked, at a high rate. And Jordan Poole, I think, is probably their best option, more so than any other wing they have on the roster, to definitely give that for them. So I think that just given opportunity, what he brings to the table that actually matches the personnel that they're going to be playing for extended minutes, I think that there is a world where Jordan Poole blows away even what I think. He could possibly average per game. And I know I have multiple friends on this podcast from the overstated NBA show, Brett in particular, who absolutely loves Jordan Poole is one of his favorite players. And yeah, I can definitely see a, a world where he becomes one of Golden State's most important guys. He's starting games for them, closing games for them, has a high role. Within the offense, maybe not from a creation standpoint, but just the amount of shots they actually feed him, I can see him getting a lot of opportunity. He he's my dark horse. Could even I could even argue him onto the ballot. I didn't, but yeah. He what, what do you think about Jordan Poole this year? I'm
1: um, actually like I wanted to interrupt you mid sentence, but I couldn't find a break. But I'm really jealous <laughs> you said that one because I I did think that. I wish I would have like I wish I would have said that because that's such a smart take. I think he's such a good movement shooter and he showed a lot last season at the end. They were making that run, like, and then of course you're right in the preseason, but um, he's the reason why, honestly. Like his level of shooting, with Clay, with Steph, is enough where like in a theoretical trade, I think having two non shooters on the floor in Simmons and Draymond, would work. You know what I mean? Just because you have that much shooting and that much, um, not exterior but perimeter gravity, and with two, you know, formidable passers, when one who's you know in Draymond, a a floor savant um i think that would work but no i love that i love that so much and i'm so mad at you and jealous that you said that
0: (laughs) well the the good that makes up for you you and i shared some some disagreement towards the beginning of the podcast we've become a lot more in lockstep as the podcast has gone on but for first show we're doing together we we, got to get that chemistry going right
1: yeah it's weird because you think you know the lockstep would be more in like the mainstream voting stuff not like this these ancillary
0: things but the you best know, basketball minds are usually the guys that just sit around and think about the weird shit all day, right? That yeah, that, that yeah, would no, probably that be you and me. <laughs> yeah. So last award would be coach of the year. So I got I got Steve Nash and Quinn Snyder at the top of my ballots, because I think that those two coaches are probably gonna have um, at least what I would say right now to be the favorites to have the best record team-wise um, in, in their respective conferences. The third. Similar to how I would consider Luca to be one of those guys who could win MVP, I have Jason Kidd as a dark horse number three. Um, Because, listen, if if that team does outperform expectations, if they vault themselves into a higher record than you and I would predict, I think you'd have to give a lot of credit to, to Jason Kidd and what he could potentially do with that roster. Because Rick Carlisle is one of the best coaches we have in the NBA. And usually I wouldn't put it past a good number of coaches to do something with a roster better than Rick Carlisle. I think Rick Carlisle is one of the best coaches we have to get the most out of the parts around him. And if Jason Kidd could somehow get even more out of that roster than even somebody like Rick Carlisle could, I don't necessarily see how it happens. But if it did happen and they would outperform expectations, it would be because Luca went off as the leader of that team. And it would also be, I think, because Jason Kidd probably had something to do in that locker room and how he was coaching that team. So I don't know what you think about number three. It gave me a little bit of a side eye when I said the name. But, um, I mean, Eric Spolster would be as an honorable mention. Doc Rivers could be an honorable mention, depending on how Philly might overperform given the Simmons situation. I would have Mike Malone on there, the Nuggets coach. Those are like my six names I came up with. But I had my top three. What does your battle
1: look like? Yeah, I I mean that one. That's all. <laughs> like like I said, like you're probably the only person, um, in all who would of mention
0: world. his name anywhere close yeah. to this award. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, that's that's something, man. Um, but uh, so I have four, like four really strong ones, and so I have like you know two tied for like the three and four spot, whatever. I would say McMillan and Nash are, like, right there. I think that like, this year is going to be a lot more complicated for Nash than, like, a roster with, you know, three of the 15 best players in the world would suggest it should be. But, like, you know, with all the ancillary stuff, um, you know, with the vaccine and all that. And then, of course, like, all three of them do have injury question marks at this point in their career. So that's something to think about. I think juggling all that, and I think that this team is going to have a very, like, historically great offense. Maybe they might like break the Mavericks record in two thousand three, two thousand four for the best relative offensive rating. I think they're gonna be that good. If they can get all their guys on the floor, but um, I think seeing that from him will really impress a lot of people. And then I think Dave McMillan. I know you're right, like this Atlanta thing, but like I myself personally am not high on Atlanta, but like I think that the league is ready to give him his flowers for like what he did at the back half of last season and in the playoffs. And then I think if this year they continue that kind of stuff, like a lot of people. Uh, feel compelled to do that but my two guys um, so I think Quinn Snyder is again like we're talking about my favorite best coaches in the league he's right up there with Spo. is one of the best basketball minds in the league and I think that the Jazz have a really good chance of being the first seed in the West again and I think that might be enough to push him and make him the coach of the year and I think that would most likely be what happens but my Tom Thibodeau type guy for this year is Billy Donovan? because I believe I tweeted this today. I was this close
0: to putting him somewhere among those names, but yeah, I with, left him uh, off.
1: he's. I think that Bulls will be a top six seed in the East, and like voters love that guy who takes this this impoverished team, the depths of hell, and makes them relevant again. I mean, the Knicks last year with Thibodeau, he got those guys to play up and be more in the some of their parts. But this year, I think this is an actually talented roster that is flawed on defense. But I think that Billy Donovan is a good enough defensive mind in that I think that psychologically their effort will make them play harder on that end of the floor because they know I'm playing with a more talented team that has a chance to, you know, maybe win a playoff series, which a lot of these guys have not done yet in their career. And I think that, in my opinion, Zach Levine is one of the 15 best players in the world. I know I've said that about like 22 guys, but I actually truly believe he's one of the 15 best in the world right now, um, yeah. That's uh, that's why I think we'll win it this year. I think that that's either one of those two. It'll be so basically that's like my Monty Williams, um, Tom Thibodeau version of this year.
0: Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Matt, I definitely thank you for, for being on. Like I said, we, we found some areas where we disagreed, but we found a lot of areas where we did agree. Incredibly fun podcast. I will definitely want to have you on again. But for everybody out there who doesn't follow your work already, let everyone in my audience know where they can find you on social media and plug everything that you're doing, not just Quest for the Best.
1: Yeah, Um. so... You know, the easiest way to find me is follow me on Twitter at Mattisa15. That's um, at M-A-T-I-S-S-A-15. Um, from there, you can find, like, where to find the quest for the best. Uh, every every listen helps, you know, like, review, all that good stuff. Um, I'm also the, you know, chief content creator at Rise Network. It's a new network. we got some pretty cool stuff going on over there. I'm going to be taking more of a roll on over there once the quest is over in two weeks um also writing wise i've got some stuff uh, i'm working on i'm not going to talk too much about that yet but be on the lookout for that but um it was a great time nathan i had a lot of fun man And
0: you know let me know whenever you need somebody to
1: Just, uh, you know, kick the can with you, man. I would love to.
0: Absolutely. I'll definitely have you back, Matt. And and for all my listeners out there, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast or watching it. If you're catching this first video edition on YouTube, we would love to have you over there. Definitely hit the subscribe button on the YouTube channel, but also subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. This is pretty much it for the NBA preview content I got a podcast that I'm recording next week with a special guest. I'll have more announcements about that series I'm going to have through the college season, but yeah, we're on, we're on to the 2022 NBA draft and I'll definitely be hitting on a lot more NBA content through the season this year than I did in past. I'm also going to be focusing on a lot of different writing work as well. I got plenty of rookie and sophomore content that I want to do lined up and I'll do some check-ins. So Matt, maybe if you're up for it, you can join me for some rookie and sophomore talk this year, but.
1: Sounds good, man
0: absolutely so thank you everyone again out there for listening hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week